Welcome to Break It Down, a ScanSource podcast brought to you by Cisco. On this podcast, we take complex tech topics and break them down for the non-tech listener with your host, Ian, Kyle, and Philip. It is another edition of Break It Down, a ScanSource podcast. It's been a little bit since our last one, boys. How are we doing? Doing good. We're doing just fine. Yeah. Ready Good. to talk about the uh, the buzzword of all buzzwords? Cloud. Let's do oh, it. It's cloud this time. Okay, got Ta- it. Talking about the clouds. So some Stratus, some serial cumulus. <laughs> yep. Did you look those up, Ian? Or I'm, I'm Stratus. Did you look those up? Oh, I definitely looked those up. Okay. Otherwise, cumulus was the only one I could. Cumulus and Nimbo Stratus would have been the only two I knew. One of those is thunderstorms, and I don't know which one, but one of those causes thunderstorms. So let's get into a little cloud computing. I think on the surface, it's a more basic term, but then I think once we dig in, we'll get to some of the differences and, and different types of cloud computing and maybe some of even the benefits and where it's going. So Kyle, do you want to get us started where we always start with you explaining cloud to us like we're five? Yeah, let's do it. Absolutely. You know, we were messaging each other before we started the podcast earlier today. And I said, I feel like this is our senior project. We've done enough of these break it down podcasts now that we've got a good basis on all these different technologies. And they all come together to form cloud. Like you said, we can focus on cloud compute today. Cloud's a, a vehicle, right? Cloud's not the technology itself. It's just the environment in which technology gets delivered these days. So you can easily substitute cloud with as a service. But if we start with, uh, you know, start in the beginning, cloud compute, you know, 1950s is really when we first started to see computers with, that were running on memory, computers running off of tape drives back then in the early or mid fifties. IBM released their that first computer that had you know it was a two thousand pound computer that only had five megabytes of data storage on it. So we've come a long way since then. If you think that first IBM computer in in fifty six with the five megabytes of storage data on it, that's essentially equivalent to one. 1080p frame, one image. So just imagine how much data we're consuming today. That's that's essentially seven seconds of a Netflix episode once you apply compression. So the first computer that was a $35,000 computer could store seven seconds worth of Netflix imaging on it. So yeah, we, we've come a long way since then. We got floppy drives showing up in the 60s. We got first supercomputers in the 70s with laser disks and then kind of the explosion of innovation after that in the 80s and 90s and and into today. But all of those things fundamentally were trying to establish a way to rapidly process computations, calculations. That's where all this compute comes from. And now here we are in the 2020s talking about cloud compute, cloud storage. The where did it come from is the our need to lower the costs, honestly, just of companies like us, like ScanSource. We have a giant server room that's super cooled, and there's just racks and racks of space in there where we used to stack servers up. 
and you know all those servers have hard drives in them and there's redundancy and all that fun stuff but as you start to look at your costs to maintain your own data your own compute it makes a lot more sense to move that stuff out of your physical location into into something else also when you're on the landing path of a major airport as greg dixon pointed out our former cto greg dixon pointed out to me that i'd Never thought about, but now every time I go to the office, it's in the back of my head. So that's a real morbid thought. Yeah. If you look at the progression of, of this technology, one of the fundamental challenges has always been redundancy. And that's why he's saying that, right? So we've got our entire business in one room that's underneath planes that land all day long. So that's not a redundant solution. It doesn't matter how many raid arrays you have set up to protect your data and back up your data. It doesn't matter how much physical redundancy you have. So it doesn't matter about the 600 employees in that campus. Yep. So I think the, the first real instance of this cloud concept really became Colos when, when people started to move data off of their physical location and into co-locations. And that solved both the redundancy problem as well as it helped lower the cost because co-locations, they make a business around having multiple customers. So multiple customers can share the power bill and the cooling bill and the infrastructure and the bandwidth and all that kind of stuff. And so it lowers your cost to have a server farm or a lot of digital compute somewhere. This is not what we're here to talk about, but floppy disks might have had like the longest lifespan of any technology. <laughs> Was that that was the nugget you took out of the opener? Was uh, <laughs> you guys remember yeah, those floppy I mean, disks? Nineteen sixty to like really the late nineties, like that's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, laser discs were around in the seventies, and we we're. I mean, I guess you, you can still buy certain media on laser disc or on CD. Yeah. Also, so I did Google this prior to us starting. The term cloud compute, the credit of its like first use is given to Google CEO Eric Schmidt in 2006. And boy, oh boy, is that a party open, like conversation starter. Yeah, I invented cloud computing. Like Eric Schmidt and Al Gore. Yeah. <laughs> One invented the internet, the other cloud compute. So, Ian, it's funny you say that because I read that cloud computing first appeared in a 1996 document at Compact. I don't know. Uh oh. So. There's a little bit of a little bit of a discrepancy there. <laughs> we're gonna have to we're gonna have to check our sources. It's not quite as clear cut as the first IoT device being a toaster. That's true. Yep. Let's let's get into the kind of the end of that story you just told though, because co-location is something that interests me and I think makes a lot of people uncomfortable with privacy and security concerns. I think if you were to go tell someone that we're going to store your data in the cloud, that sounds great on paper, but hey, it's going to be in this offsite location with other people's data. Is that a, a common hurdle that, or is that a, a, a thing of the past that we've now kind of generally accepted as part of the industry? Yeah, I think uh, I think the generally accepted piece is right right on. So you do put a lot of trust in a co-location facility to keep your data physically secure. And like you said, if your if your data, your compute, your applications are all on a shared network within a physical location, then yeah, you you could be creating exposure to your data from someone else or vice versa. And so it really pushes the need 
for individual organizations, companies that have apps, that have data, to have their own security measures in place, regardless of where that data lives. It's a, it's a good segue into looking at today's form of cloud compute and cloud storage and cloud data and all those things. Those needs for security haven't changed. They haven't lessened either. I mean, all cloud compute is, is a highly complicated version of Colo. You know, there are still server farms sitting out there that hold all this data. Now they're distributed across the globe with a tremendous amount of redundancy in place and security and bandwidth and all the things that 2021 technologies bring with them. But it is just a much more highly sophisticated version of the old co-location approach. So yeah, no less need for security. I stammered on the word trust a little bit earlier because it's not just about trust. I mean, these companies are contractually obligated to keep your data secure, but that's a contract. It doesn't mean the contract won't stop a virus. So if we go back, call back to the security, cybersecurity episode, the approach always has to be a plan for an attack. It's going to happen. Make sure you're prepared to mitigate. So I have a really dumb question. Hypothetical. What do we think there are more of? Landfills? Storage unit facilities or like cloud server co-location facilities? Oh, gosh. I feel like these are becoming like the new, like like they're going to continue to exponentially grow in the need and necessity. And I feel like people are putting them like underwater now and stuff I've seen. So, yeah, that's a topic I'd love to talk about. I don't know if we can do a whole podcast on underwater server farms, but that is a really cool concept. I, I don't know if you have the data to answer this question. I'm going to bet at this point it's probably cloud compute facilities. I bet just number-wise, there's probably more of those across the globe. I, I mean, hey, again, call back, call back to our uh, cryptocurrency Bitcoin episode. That whole ledger is distributed across billions of devices. That's technically cloud compute. So, I'm taking landfills, but I feel like it's one of those like Twitter graphs that the last one comes and jumps to the top that server farms is going to be right there very soon. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I just Googled underwater server farm. That is pretty wild. Oh, yeah, those are huge. Those are awesome. It's a fascinating time in compute because I mentioned it just a second ago, but one of the one of the biggest costs compute is cooling. It's power and cooling. And if you can put a server farm underwater you can use thermal dynamics to keep that server farm cool. Now you're making faces because you're like, well, we're heating up the ocean, yep, right? That's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> it's a drop in the bucket. There's not that much heat being generated by these things that we're going to turn the tides, as it were. But you could also consider the fact that you can park an underwater server farm over subterranean vents and use the heat coming off the vents to generate the power to run the farm. So it's a, essentially an infinite loop. So yeah, crazy cool concept. We went from cloud compute to underwater compute just like that. That's fine. We can, we can deep dive, literally deep dive deep on that dive. another episode. So well, uh, as we kind of talked about the, the security piece of it, if Somebody breaks into like, so if, if it's a co-location or, you know, you've got servers and some of the public cloud stuff, how much does, does this like centralize an area to target for a hacker instead of having to figure out a way to get into a, a building somewhere? I mean, I, I've got a bunch of stuff isolated to one area because this is where we pump all of our data. 
Yep. Yeah. Imagine how juicy of a target that looks to cyber criminals, right? Yeah. So that that's, yeah, you're right on. That's why the network architecture itself within co-location is so important to be done right. That's why the co-location facilities themselves and the companies that operate them have to have their own security strategy. But again, it's why it's incumbent upon the companies that use facilities like that to make sure that they have their own strategy. But yeah, it's, listen, I think we don't talk about it a lot in these podcasts, but the network architecture piece is critical in the segregation of that data in a shared facility like this. And you can pay extra to make sure that your stuff is not on the same network physically, on the same network as anybody else's. Forget VLANing, forget all that other stuff. Like physically, you can make sure it's segregated. But I actually did know that. It's, it uh, somewhat I, defeats the purpose. But Yes, that's exactly what I was thinking as well. You're kind of destroying the, the cost benefit of that whole co-location. Is that where we get the really cool wire management photos from? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I really, I, I very much appreciate the aesthetic of those. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I use one as a stock photo in just about everything I do to describe what my team does. And it's some person standing in front of a rack of servers with just chaos in the background. I like that. So, Kyle, it seems like today, at least, we, we've kind of all acknowledge that like cloud has a ton of benefits, right? The, I mean, the cost of co-location significantly increase. Obviously, the ability to scale, the reliability, it's, it's faster. The one thing, and I know we're, I always bring things back here, have we all gotten to a place where we feel like this is a secure and we're, we're comfortable with the security piece of that? I feel like that's kind of the big myth around cloud is like, well, I mean, if my data goes to the cloud, it's going to get hacked. And then you get like the, the WikiLeaks and all that that comes out of it. Have we gotten over that? I'm going to say yes. I want to relate the question to consumer social media usage, where we just have given up on our right to privacy for the sake of convenience. And to me, cloud compute is similar to that. People are cringing right now as they listen to me say this, because we have not completely given up on our right to have our data secured in order to take advantage of the cloud. I'm not saying that at all, but the, 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 there's a parallel here, which is you lose some control over the data. You, you don't have control physically over where that data is anymore, where your apps are. You can control the platform they're in. You can control the infrastructure, all these things that are part of running cloud services. You as the owner of those applications and of that data have some control over it, but you lose the physical connectivity to it. So again, there's lots and lots and lots of work that goes into making sure data is secure. All the primary web service companies that are out there, they have to focus on it because the moment they have one significant breach is the last day anybody ever trusts their platform, right? So Obviously, a heavy focus from the consumer side, meaning even corporations, I do feel like there's a lot of trust in those those organizations to be secure. Now, if you talk to any regulated entity, any government entity, before they put anything in the cloud, they do their due diligence and they test and they pen test and they pass security audits and all that stuff. So it's definitely not frivolous security for sure. This is, they've invested, like I said, these platform providers have 
have invested a lot of money in making sure your data stays secure. Good. Yeah. The speed and reliability and all the in- decrease in cost are just the gems of the Clash of Clans world here. I'm- yeah. <laughs> yep. I'm giving up my Facebook login info for a, a small reward. Yeah. So I kind of teased this in the lead of the episode, but I did want to kind of end, end up here or get here. There are now, this idea of cloud is kind of a very general idea, but within cloud now, we've kind of gotten to, there are publicly owned clouds, there are private clouds, and then there are hybrid clouds. So I guess, first, tell me about the differences, and then is one any better than the other, or does it depend on business type? Yeah, I think, honestly, it depends on your deployment model one, where your apps are. That, that's a key, a key element in whether or not you go private, public, or hybrid, but it also has a lot to do with where your org, you know, how, how um, sensitive your data is and how timely your data needs to be accessed. So private cloud means you own it all. You're, you manage it. It's in your house. It's in these big server racks. You're cooling them. You're paying the power. Easy version of that. I would include in there the old school colo approach that we were talking about earlier, I would I would kind of lump that into private cloud. Hybrid cloud is you have some data, some apps on site with you, but you also have some in the cloud that you've offloaded to cloud services or anything as a service. And then public cloud would be the other end where everything is in the cloud. And public cloud is really, it implies that it's public. Everybody has access to it, which isn't True. It just means that platforms are publicly accessible. AWS is an example. Microsoft Azure is another good example. We haven't gotten into alphabet soup yet, but you start looking at infrastructure as a service or IaaS and then platform as a service or PaaS, software as a service. So platform as a service is those platforms like Microsoft Azure that companies can use to build and manage their infrastructure but in all of that's offloaded. They get to then choose how much they want to keep on site. And just quickly before we get into that topic more, latency and access to your data, like I said, that's one of the key deciding factors. So if you're running, say, a hospital facility and you need immediate response from your devices to the patient or devices to the healthcare provider, you want to control as much of that latency on your network as possible. And, and typically, that data stays somewhere nearby. For things that don't require as fast of a response time, again, call back to IoT devices, you can put things in the cloud, web apps in the cloud, databases, put them in the cloud, like all that stuff that just takes a ton of compute and cost to run, but you don't need immediate access to the data, fractions of milliseconds kind of latency. Those are all good applications to put in the cloud. So, There are, for our non-tech listener, there are obviously a lot of applications in our daily life of the cloud. I, for one, I know I use Google Photos, which is a cloud app. Where does that fall? So in the alphabet soup, that's SaaS. That's software as a service. So you have subscribed to... Is that a public cloud, though? Yes. Yep. Yep. So in, in in that world, yep, it's all public. So in that case, Google owns the data farm. And they have likely, very likely, digitized it, virtualized it, and you're accessing it through the cloud as a consumer of their SaaS 
application. So you pay a subscription, or in that case, maybe you're not paying, you've got the freemium version, and uh, they maintain the infrastructure and you consume it as software. Yeah, I think it's, I've been leading to this, I think it's very interesting to me how many people, oh, I don't want to be on the cloud, the cloud's not safe, or without realizing how much of our lives today are actually on the cloud already. Like if you watch any video streaming service, that's the cloud. Amazon Web Services, cloud. Like there's so many things that you take for granted in your daily life that are actually the cloud and would not be available to you without the cloud. It's incredible to me. Yep. Yeah. I mean, if you think about most uh, consumers these days have cut the cable and their TV, their media experience is streamed across the internet. So I mean, that's a, that's a, again, that's a SaaS platform. It's, it's a data coming across the cloud. You can't talk around any of the brand name smart home devices like this one over here in the corner without them hearing everything you say. And then 15 minutes later, it's showing up in your Facebook feed. So, I mean, all of that is just data that's being captured and sent through the cloud and then back at you. Yeah, and I think some people see that as like an invasion of privacy, but ultimately one, it's it's as a marketer, it's beneficial to marketing, but two, it, it, it's making life easier. Like, I mean, think about how much easier it is to shop for birthday presents or Christmas presents now than it was 20 years ago. Think about how much, to your point, easier it is to go consume media now than it was 20 years ago. So I, for one, am thankful for the cloud. Yeah, that's the uh, sacrifice of privacy for convenience all over again, right? That's exactly what that is. Yeah. <laughs> so last thing, you kind of touched on it already a little bit, but going into it, obviously different types of cloud services, the whole, you call it the alphabet soup, the AAS bucket. Do you want to get like, is there a key differentiator in any of those that we need to be aware of or? Yep, they all build on top of one another. So for the super geeks out there that know what OSI models are, the alphabet soup around cloud compute looks very similar. So you start with the infrastructure, which is the IaaS, or infrastructure as a service. And that's the, I mean, that's compute resources, that's servers, that's network. So if you as a company want to move the management of that type of device into the cloud, that's one of the easiest ways. Well, so let's say this, it's not necessarily one of the easiest ways to save cost. It is the best way to move from OPEX to CAPEX. So if you want to transition your costs away from buying physical servers and then owning the maintenance of those servers, then moving into an infrastructure as a service model is a great way to do that. So just, it's a terrible model. Uh, yeah, you're showing know, me smart yeah. devices. Yes, yeah, that's, yep, same thing. But if you look at, as an example, a well-known brand name laptop, just a basic laptop you would buy to use at home, they, you know, roughly $450 that same amount of compute, if you put it in Microsoft Azure, costs you 20 cents an hour. So you can either choose to buy the device and then be responsible for all your updates on your OS and virus protection and not spilling coffee in it, you know, all those types of things. Or you can pay 20 cents an hour to use the same amount of resources in a cloud environment. So that's the infrastructure as a service model. Again, that's kind of the base of all the others, uh, platform as a service, you just, that's on top of the infrastructure, the platform becomes 
the management of all of those devices, kind of that single pane of glass. It's really in the platform as a service model. That's really targeted towards web developers. So people that are building the applications and maintaining the applications, et cetera. So is that where like, uh, obviously paying homage to our sponsor here, is that where like a Meraki falls? They're uh, kind of where that's built, obviously that network management platform. Yep. Yeah. So that's an example. Yes. An example of a platform for sure that you consume as a service, depending on which side you're on, that's either platform as a service or it's the SaaS model. That's, that is the software that you're consuming, your your network admins are consuming. So yeah, it's a little bit of a hybrid of the two. But yes, a good shout out there. And we made it, I don't need to see a timer on our recording here, but I don't know how we've made it this far into a cloud podcast without mentioning SD-WAN and all the networking technologies that make cloud compute possible. But yeah, it's pretty amazing. Do we miss anything? Will we miss Phil? We do miss Phil. We lost a participant about halfway through today. Fortunately, we lost the one that we could afford to lose and keep going. So it's a little, a little cloudy in here, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. No, and I think, I mean, my again, my biggest takeaway is that I love the cloud. There are obviously a lot of different uses of the cloud. And then just, I would encourage people not to get overwhelmed or nervous when they start hearing some of these terms or acronyms thrown out there, that they're all kind of different flavors of the same thing. That's right. And just keep in mind, the cloud isn't the technology. It's just the vehicle or the, it's the vehicle technology is delivered through or it's the environment. So yeah, it's uh, lots of resources out there to help anybody that's moving from, from uh, CapEx to OpEx and wants to start deploying products in these types of environments. And uh, it is uh, it is today. It's what's happening today. Perfect. Well, Kyle, you said it was your capstone project. You get an A, buddy. Thanks. I, I appreciate it. <laughs> All right. Until next time. All right. Today's interview is brought to you by Cisco WebEx. Cisco WebEx is a platform 95% of Fortune 500 companies use for their collaboration needs. WebEx Meetings brings people from all over the globe together. It's like being there in person even when you can't be. Join from any device and get HD quality audio and video and even share your screen. From online meetings to whiteboarding to file sharing with the whole team, work progresses with WebEx. It's how millions do their best teamwork. Mm -hmm.